Matthew 13, and we'll read two verses, verses 51 and 52. Jesus is speaking, he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven It's like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. We've jumped around so much as we've been looking at these various parables that it might be good for me to remind you the context here. Uh, Matthew 13 is really the great chapter of parables. There are seven parables that come before these verses that we've read. And uh, this chapter is often known as the uh, seven parables of the mysteries of the kingdom. And so the Lord, having uh, spoken these parables, and I think we've looked at every one of them uh, in the past few months at different times, But the Lord, having spoken these parables, then says in verse 51, have you understood all these things? Uh, Actually, it's wrong to speak of seven parables here, seven mysteries of the kingdom, because really there are eight, and verse 52 is actually another parable, this verse that we just read. This is a parable... For those who have heard and understood the first seven parables, another parable is given. Uh, Notice the therefore. As soon as the disciples answer him, verse 51, they said to him, yes. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, and so on. So, in other words, this is an immediate response to the fact that they have understood and received and This is another parable here. So there are eight parables in Matthew 13. Eight wonderful revelations of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's consider then this very rich, uh, wonderful little parable of the head of the household. Or some, uh, I think maybe the authorized says a householder. Uh, the parable of a householder. Verse 51 then, Jesus says, Have you understood all these things? Notice here that the Lord Jesus Christ cares about whether or not we understand his word. He cares about it. It's not the idea that we care about it and he doesn't care. or We've got to try to figure out some way to get this... uh, truth and knowledge and understanding away from him. He doesn't want to give it to us, but we've got to figure out a way to to figure it out. But it's just the opposite. He cares about whether or not we're able to understand his word. He has just finished giving these seven parables uh, of the kingdom of heaven, and immediately he asks them, have you understood? Have you understood all these things? In other words, Christ wants us to learn, and he's willing to teach us, and he's willing to answer our questions to the degree that we're able to receive and uh, to take in what he has to say. Now, if you look at this, you see it illustrated right here in this chapter, back up in verse 36. Then he left the multitudes... And went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. And he didn't say, Well, you'll figure it out. He explained and began to expound to them this parable. Another passage that's very encouraging along this line, Mark 4, uh, verses 33 and 34. I'll just read it to you. It says, With many such parables he was speaking the word to them, as they were able to hear it. And he was not speaking to them without parables, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. 
Now that is what he's still doing today. He explains everything privately to his own disciples. If you'll come to him and ask him for understanding, he is willing to do that. Uh, Psalm 38 and verse, or 32 and verse 8, he says, I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way in which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. That's a promise of the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you and guide you with my eye upon you. And uh, you remember in Luke 11, he gave that uh, teaching where he says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking and it shall be open to you. That's not a promise for special people. It's a promise for every child of God. You you come to him if you can't understand some and we're not talking about just understanding a doctrine, although that could be too, but having to do with the things of life and how to how to how to be changed, how to live, how to how to go forward, what to do, and guidance and that type of thing. And he says, Every one who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. So what a blessed promise that we have a teacher who cares about whether or not we're getting the material or not. Haven't you been in a classroom before where the teacher is just going on like a locomotive, you know, at the front of the room, and uh, everybody has been left behind a long time ago, but he's not aware of the fact, and he just keeps on going. Now, the Lord is not like that, and he's concerned, and so he stops here and says, now, do you understand this? Well, what an encouragement. Our cry should be, teach me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy way. He'll do that. He's concerned about that, concerned about teaching us. And so that means I can come tomorrow morning, I can come this afternoon, I can come tonight and ask the Lord as I open the Bible and as I just live life, I can ask Him, Lord, teach me Your way. Teach me. I want to, be, I want to understand Your ways. I want to know Your ways. And He Himself is concerned about that. And what a blessed thing. Every single one who asks receives. There's nobody who's longing, crying out. You know Proverbs 2. Lift your voice for discernment. Cry out for understanding. Seek it like silver. And search for it like for hidden treasures. Then <clears throat> the promise is sure that we will discover the knowledge of God. So... The Lord asked them, have you understood all these things? And they said, in the end of verse 51, they said to him, yes. Now, <clears throat> we might well question that. Notice how he said, have you understood all these things? And they said, yes. <clears throat> and so we know that uh, uh, there were uh, depths to what he said that they did not understand then, and, and that none of us will ever understand in our whole lifetime. There's another occasion where he said, are you able to drink the cup that I drank? And uh, I think we looked at this last week, and they, they said, yes, we're able to. Well, they didn't know what they were saying, but he said, my cup you will drink. fact is that he was going to enable them to do that. <clears throat> well, here uh, they say, yes, we understand. <clears throat> and even though we know that they didn't understand a lot of it, Nevertheless, we know the feeling of what it's like, don't we? When we're listening to the words of the Lord, and all of a sudden everything becomes clear. And you have this sense that you have understanding now. In some area that was dark to you, and that was a mystery and a puzzle and tormented you, all of a sudden everything becomes clear and you have understanding. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, uh, there's a sense of, Praise God, I can see now, I can understand. And in their understanding, in their evaluation of themselves, when the Lord asked them this question, He said, do you understand these things? <clears throat> in their evaluation, they realized that they had received some real insight. And so it was a truthful answer, and they were, they were uh, uh, no doubt full of joy about this that they had been able to see and understand some of these things. Uh, their insight had been greatly deepened. I, I can remember, uh, 
I heard a, the message <clears throat> uh, out of Acts 26 that Brother Merle gave back of many years ago. When I heard that message, it was like light was breaking upon my soul <clears throat> at such a rate that I would, I, it was like I would see this and I'd miss the next four or five sentences because it had hit me so hard the thing that I'd seen. Now that's what was happening when they said, we understand something had taken place. Uh, it was a great blessing there in Romania after the time uh, one of the gypsy brothers that uh, uh, had been there at the meetings came up to me afterwards at the end of the time and he put his hands over his eyes and he just said, went like that. It's like he could see he has a lot of things that had been and I know exactly what he was saying because I've been there. Things that you cannot figure out uh, have be become clear. And uh, what a thankfulness to God. And the Lord evidently realized, I mean, I'll put it this way, of course he realized, but he evidently agreed with what they said. Because he didn't say, no, you don't understand. He went ahead and gave a teaching. And so they said, uh, we, we can see what you're saying. And he said to them, then, verse 52, he goes on and immediately gives them a further teaching with regard to this new understanding that they possess. And so he says, verse 52, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. <clears throat> now isn't this amazing? The first thing he says about us, he says, every scribe, now, there's one thing that a Christian really doesn't particularly want to be called. It's a scribe. What do you think about when you think of the scribes? The, the scribes and the Pharisees. <laughs> I mean, that just comes automatically, doesn't it? The scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, it's surprising that here Jesus, after all these wonderful new things about the kingdom of heaven and everything, and talking about that in any... All of a sudden he says, you're a scribe. Every scribe who has been instructed or disciple in the kingdom of heaven. This word scribe is the Greek word grammar. And you know what we get from that. A favorite subject of many kids in grade school, grammar. And so grammar was a scribe. <clears throat> and they were... Uh, supposed to be teachers of the law, men of letters, and supposed to be qualified to teach in the synagogue. Now the fact is that they had become a party or a faction, and they were binding up man-made traditions and laws and things and heaping them on people's backs and uh, weighting people down with uh, their traditions and man-made laws. And they were, in general, hypocrites. Let me just read a few things about the scribes. Now, we often think of the Pharisees, but we need to remember Jesus said scribes and Pharisees, so it's both groups. And this is what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees, and I'm going to leave out that part just so you'll get this. The scribes have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. That was the case concerning the scribes. Uh, they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. See, that's a scribe. He knows all this great Bible knowledge and gets all these respectful greetings. Woe to you, scribes, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. Now think of this. These are the guys that are supposed to be leading people to God, and actually they're obstructions to people getting in. You know, really it is true that you could do away with a vast amount of professing Christianity wipe a great percentage of professing Christianity off the earth, and all of a sudden, 
a great obstacle would be removed to people coming to know God. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They were very evangelistic. Woe to you, blind guides. And he goes on and says, Woe to you, scribes, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence and so on. Well, that was the scribes. They had no authority in their teaching. Uh, Mark 1.22, they were amazed at his teaching because he spoke as one having authority and not as their scribes. So there's those scribes again. Now, it's an awful thing to think of being a scribe. <laughs> and yet, uh, the, the word did not always mean that, and scribes were not always that way. Now, I want to go back to what a real scribe in the Bible was supposed to be. Back in Ezra, uh, chapter 7. See, a scribe was really a blessed thing <clears throat> originally before it was all corrupted. And this ought to renew our minds some about what the Lord's saying to us here. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. <clears throat> this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And then you go up to verse 9. For on the first of the first month he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. Now verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study, or literally seek, the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, isn't that something? That's the order. This is what Jesus is calling us to be. He says, you're to be scribes in the kingdom of heaven. And that means setting your heart to seek to know the law of the Lord, to know the Lord's word, and study it, and then to practice it, and then to teach it. Now, that's a question. I could ask myself this. As a Christian, am I seeking out, diligently seeking the law of the Lord, trying to understand it? And then, as I understand it, am I doing my utmost to live it? And then, that's not enough, is it? And that's what this parable is about. We're going to get to this. Actually, this verse right here is a lot. I mean, almost it's the key, you could say, to this parable that Jesus gave. Not just to, te not just to, to practice it, not just to know it, but to teach it, to share it with others. To teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, that's the kind of scribes that we ought to be. Well, back to Matthew 13 then. Isn't this an amazing thing that's taking place in one little verse? <clears throat> Think of this. The old order of scribes. All these men, there were a lot of these men that spent their lives studying the law of God. The old order of scribes has failed. And Jesus, in this one verse... He is transferring the authority to be teachers of the Word of God and teachers of divine things. He's transferring the authority from that group of scribes over to a new group. You know who that is? That's you. <laughs> if you're a Christian, he's transferring the authority of teaching the divine things from that old group of scribes that have failed and sinned and turned away from God, he's transferring that responsibility over to his disciples. 
He says, you see those scribes, all those men that have spent their lives studying the law of Moses and all the, the uh, traditions and all these commandments of men and all that. He says, <clears throat> and they look at him and they say, yeah, Lord, we don't get anything out of them at all. They're dead as they can be. And he says, well, I'm giving you their job now. Now you see how you can do at this job. And the Christian, by the grace of God, will do infinitely better than they did because, well, he tells us why. Because they have become disciples of the kingdom of heaven. Every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's a disciple? What's the word disciple mean? What's that? Follower, but it doesn't mean the word. That it, I, I used to think that too, follower, but it's not follower. Learner, it means learner, literally means learner. Now, a learner, uh, all those learners were followers. So the disciples were following, but they, the word disciple means learner. Now, that's something, isn't it? He said to his disciples, you see, did you understand this? Well, he said to his learners, did you learn anything? And the, it, the question ought to come up in our minds when we leave a meeting, did I learn anything? Have I, am I taking away with me anything? Vance Havner said, I, I never had a message that I didn't get something out of. Now, he said, I've had some very close calls. <laughs> But really, you know, even if we're just reading the scriptures and we don't get anything else, if there's something that we can lay hold of, that's what it is to be a, a learner, a disciple. So he says, we are learners, and the question comes up, who is the teacher? Well, the teacher is God himself. John chapter 6, verse 45 it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Now he said, these, these scribes over here were taught by men. And they've got degrees a mile long. But he says, I'm transferring this work of teaching and sharing the deep things of God over to Christians. And they have a teacher who is a divine teacher. They have God as their teacher. And every Christian has been taught of God. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every single Christian, if you haven't been taught of God, you're not a Christian. If God himself has not personally taught you, Jesus said, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, learn from the Father, that's teaching. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, think of this. Here is a group of unlettered fishermen taking over the job of these guys with 15 doctor's degrees in theology. And you've got a fisherman that is taking over that job. How is he going to do it? Well, he has, he's not going to do it by going to school. That's not going to be it. And it was very obvious that to everybody that they, what did they say? They're ignorant and unlearned men. Now what was, let me just read it to you from Acts 4. Here they had performed a miracle. And uh, the, uh, the council <coughs> gathered them together, Acts 4. Uh, verse 5 came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes there they are were gathered together in Jerusalem and Annas the high priest was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent I mean here's these here's Peter and John they're nobodies they're, everything is in such an uproar that they've got all the high priestly family. That it's like it was like the mafia of Judaism. It really was. <laughs> it, that's true. And it was carried down in families. And so here they were, and they've got these disciples, and they placed them in the center. 
And in verse 7 it says, When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. Now that's a good way to get your head cut off, isn't it? Boldness. They're standing there with boldness, talking to these big shots, the high priest of the nation, Peter and John. Let it be known, they said. He was the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which became the very cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven. It's been given among men by which we must be saved. Just think of the power that Peter had there speaking in this situation. This is the Peter that denied the Lord. Isn't it amazing? Now as they observed the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as what? As having been with Jesus. Now that's the key. They'd been taught. They'd been instructed in the kingdom of heaven at the school of Christ for three years. They had sat at the feet of the Lord. I remember uh, somebody asked Brother G. John where he went to school. He said, St. Mary's. Mary sat at the feet of the Lord and listened to his word. <laughs> that's what he did. Uh Somebody said they'd been to school at Bush University, talking about Moses, there before the burning bush. Anyway, three years. Can you imagine the folly of trying to equal, through getting diplomas and degrees, trying to equal what it would be like to sit at the feet of Jesus for three years? I mean, we're dealing with different realms. We're dealing with the things of God. You're dealing with the supernatural. You're dealing with the divine. So God is a teacher. And He's a teacher of every Christian. Would just wait upon Him and seek Him and ask Him for insight. Just like John the Baptist, you know, they said, this... This John the Baptist, you know, he has such authority. And you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? There's only two possibilities, and that's something. It's either going to be divine or men sent him out. And if men sent him out, it's worthless. The people will stone us. They say, no, he's a prophet. You see that? If you're sent out by men, you might as well throw it out as far as the things of God. The only thing worth anything is if God himself has sent you out. That's the way it is. Well, God is the teacher, but what's the subject matter? Well, the subject matter back here in Matthew 13 is the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple, a learner of the kingdom of heaven, every Christian, according to Hebrews 6, Every Christian has tasted something of the good word of God and of the powers of the age to come. He's been enlightened. He's been made partaker of the Holy Spirit. He's tasted of the heavenly gift and of the good word of God. Every Christian has had light shine into his heart. 2 Corinthians 4, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts. To give the light of revelation of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Every Christian has that light, that revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I was just thinking uh, last night of these words of Peter there in Matthew, or the words of Christ in Matthew 16. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, 
It doesn't matter how much preaching you hear. It doesn't matter what your mom and dad tell you. They cannot convey to you who Jesus is. You can tell somebody their entire life you can tell them who Jesus is, and they don't understand who He is at all. But whenever they can say from the heart with the reality, He's the Christ, He's Lord, He's the Son of the living God. He says, blessed are you. You didn't get that from any man. You got that directly from God. Flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. So every Christian, is he's a learner, learning from God in the kingdom of heaven, the things of the age to come. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is. Well, what does the Lord say then about such a person? Every Christian worker, every child of God, <clears throat> what, is, what, is he, what is he like? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 52. Therefore, every scribe, not just some, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household. Now that's what God says about Christians. It's not pre He's not pretending that Christians are like that. You know, they say, people get this idea, God sees you like this. In other words, he pretends, he lies to himself, and he He's, you're actually you're a piece of trash, but God sees you like this. Well, that didn't. When God says this about us, He's saying this is the way you really are. This is reality. If you're a Christian, you are rich and important in spiritual things. You're the head of a household. Now we'll talk about it. This head of a household. This term is used a lot by the Lord, and He uses it. To refer to himself most of the time. He's like a good man, the head of a household. Uh, I think 10 or 12 different occasions he brings this up, and it would be worthy, really, I think, of a study all on its own to look at this head of the household, the householder, the good man, the master of the house. And it combines the ideas of a shepherd and a father and a king all into one. This, we're talking about a benevolent dictator who is full of grace and mercy and goodness and strength and authority. That's what he describes himself. He's like the master of the household. He's the head of the household. It speaks of authority. It speaks of protection. It speaks of provision. This, house, this head of the household is bringing forth and feeding the people in the proper time, you remember, giving them meat, their meat in due season. That's what God says Christians are. Now notice about this head of the household, he's rich. He has a treasure. He has a treasury. The treasury is his heart. He's bringing forth out of his treasury. Now, we see this in other places. Um, well, I don't need to turn to it, but in Luke 6.45, for example, Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasure, what, of his heart, brings forth what's good. So here's this head of the household, and he's got a treasure stored in this treasury, which is his heart. Now, beloved, Jesus says that if you're a Christian, you've got something of incredible value inside your heart. You've got a treasure in there. What is this treasure? Well, first thing it is the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ. That is a priceless treasure. If you have the knowledge of Christ, you have something of inestimable value and worth just to know Him. But let's look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Uh, you remember what Paul says? He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Now, what's the treasure? Well, look up one verse before. 
God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You see, just to be able to see who the Lord is, to know Him, is a priceless treasure. We have it in earthen vessels, that is, the, these bodies of clay. 2 Timothy 1.14 He says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure, the treasure or literally the good deposit which has been entrusted to you. So we have been entrusted with knowledge of God, knowledge of the way of salvation, answers to problems. I mean, people... Beloved, people can't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. They don't know how to do anything. Non-Christians can't do anything. I mean, they cannot see the simplest things related to anything in terms of life's problems. They can be brilliant in other things. They can be geniuses. But when you get down to the very basic, simplest things, they're total failures. And we have a treasure. We have the answers. We have such a treasure uh, in the basic knowledge that every Christian possesses. Someone said the treasure is that which through knowledge and experience has become ours. And you know, this ought to be building up all the time. As Christians, it is building up all the time, continually growing. The way of knowledge of the way of salvation, knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of God's answers to different needs. What a wealth we have. I remember one time uh, I was talking to John Brashears. We used to go out and uh, knock on doors in the dormitories and just uh, witness to people. And he said, you know, one thing, when you go out, when you get into these discussions with people and you're witnessing, you and, and they're bringing up problems and they're bringing up questions and reasons why they can't be a Christian and stuff like that. And you're sharing the answers. It begins to dawn on you. We have so much light. We have so much truth. We have answers to all kinds of things. And we just get used to it. We have treasures, vast treasures, a rich storehouse. Well, what does this scribe do with his treasure? Well, you hoard it up. Make sure you don't let any of it get out through the cracks. Is that what he says to do? He says, every scribe who has been discipled, become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, is like a head of a household who brings forth. He brings forth. Other places it says the head of the household gives them their meat in the proper season. Even the food, you know, he distributes. But he brings forth out of his treasure. Christians are to bring forth out of their treasure. There's no idea of gathering treasure for yourself. There's no idea, you know... The, the example of the Dead Sea has been used so many times, but it's true. It was lower, the sea level, I mean, it was way below sea level, the Dead Sea, and everything flowed into it, nothing flowed out of it, and it's the saltiest, deadest thing there is. I mean, it got all the good water coming into it. Got everything coming into it, but nothing going out of it. You know, this first parable that he starts out chapter 13 with talks about seed coming in. This soil, the, the heart is like soil with seed coming into it. This parable talks about things being brought out of the heart. Now once the seed, it says, if the seed comes in and takes root and brings forth fruit in your life, next thing is the seed's got to go out. It's got to be brought forth out. <clears throat> That's the progression. Beloved, we have to bring out the treasures. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul's exhorting Timothy and he says, Be diligent in the word. Be diligent about preaching and sharing. For in doing this, you will both save yourself and those that hear you. 
part of the problem that we that we don't have more reality, more joy, more overflow, more life is we're hoarding everything up like the Dead Sea. When you start sharing it, you not only save those who hear you, you save yourself. When it starts coming out, you save yourself and those who hear you. The, the paradox about the kingdom of God, this treasure that we have, the knowledge that we have, the more you share it, the more you keep. I mean, when you share it, it's, it's, it becomes yours. And the more you try to hoard it, <clears throat> the more you hold it in, the quicker you lose it. There's a poem along that line. I don't have the whole thing, but uh, some of you remember this. Maybe somebody can help me on it. But it's, it, there was a man, some thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Now that's the, that's the situation of the Christian. The more he gave, the more he had. Um, Jesus immediately as soon as they've understood and they're sitting there with this joy and they've got, they've got comprehension <clears throat> he says therefore every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings forth out of his treasure that's what it is you've got to bring it forth now if you understand it. what are we to bring forth we're almost finished here what are we to bring forth? Well, <clears throat> he says he brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. <clears throat> um, this is the way it ought to be for the head of the household. He, think of what it was like then. Everybody's sitting around. There's a big gathering or reunion or something, and our, all the friends are over. And he goes and opens up the treasure chest and brings out some old item. For everybody to see. Now that's wonderful. But then he's got some new thing. That he just got on a journey to some distant country. That he brings out and shows everyone. That's, that's what he's talking about here. That's the way it ought to be. That's what ought to be coming out of our lives. Things old. You know precious things from a long time ago. And things new. And things new. Not just things old. Not just things new. Now, there, these scribes in the New Testament, the ones that uh, had perverted everything and twisted everything, all they had was the past. And they were quoting Dr. So-and-so and Rabbi So-and-so and bringing up all this old musty stuff from the past, and that's where they lived. There are... Uh, Theological journals written today that argue over stuff from 200 years ago, you know, when the Puritans discussed this and that and the other. Who cares? See, there's some things to be gleaned from that, but it's got to be new. And so there's that side. On the other side, you have people that are always, they want something new. I mean, you look at this thing, this some wonderful gospel truth, oh, that's nice. Throw it over there in the ditch and try it. Now what else? You know, I want something new. Now that's not it either. You remember the uh, characteristic there on Mars Hill. It says they spent their time, those Greeks spent their time doing nothing else but hearing some strange new thing. That's what they wanted to hear. And you know, I want to hear some strange new doctrine. Come up with something new. Well, if it's new... In that sense, it's false. I mean, if it's something that's innovative in the realm of doctrine, you can be sure it's a lie. It's got to be things old and new. I, I have known people uh, that seemed very impressive whenever I got to know them, whenever I first knew them. And it seemed like, you know, they have so much and it's so fresh and good. And, but you, then you find out that they're, that they're just passing through. They're just <clears throat> moving from one thing to another. And you're catching them in one, pick, one, one little still of their moving picture. And they're going to jettison all that and be on to something else in a little while. And so there's no stability, there's no foundation, they're always in transition, moving. Now, we've got to have both 
things old and things new. If you don't have things old, if you don't have a foundation that is immovable, you see, if we have eternal truth from God, there are some things that aren't going to change. If they're changing all the time, you haven't got in touch with the real God because God doesn't change. And so you've got some things that are old. And you drive foundations in, and you know, a lot of times you find out after you've been a Christian a while, you start having this and that thing questioned. Somebody brings up this teaching and that teaching, and you have to go question and go back and think through and everything. But I'll tell you what, the pegs that are left in the ground get deeper and deeper. As time goes on, there's some things that become more and more immovable. There's other things that you begin to question. Things that don't amount to anything anyway and need to be questioned. I remember sitting in a college room one time with Bob Jennings' brother Tom, and uh, they were people, the students were all there, and they were asking us, "Well, what uh, what happens after uh, Russia comes down in and invades, and you know Gog and Magog?" And we were sitting there, boy, we were the authorities. Well, then this will happen, and then the rapture, and then that. You know, we had both read one book on it, and it told all about it. That stuff, when you, the, the more you begin to question, you begin to throw that stuff out. But the things that are deep go deeper, and they're more firm, and they're established, and they're, they're immovable. I don't care who says that this is wrong. I know that it's true. It doesn't make any difference anymore, you see. Now that becomes the case more and more with the, the disciple of the kingdom of heaven. Things old. Things ancient, ancient landmarks, uh, things that have that you see down through church history. Uh, it's it is a, it's amazing the amount of ignorance and detachment from the past and from church history that there is in the professing Christianity today. Well, things old, and you know it's something. It doesn't take very long for some things to get old. You've got a brand new Christian here, and he starts witnessing. First, he's telling about his testimony. You know, one thing I know, where, where I was blind, now I can see. And uh, two weeks later, something comes up, and he's seeing new things all the time in the Bible, and, you know, everything's wonderful, but he goes back to tell him about his conversion. In about six months, that thing is one of the things old. That is the thing. You're going back to that, you see, about how God saved you, and it's right to and uh, way back there, you know, long time ago, I've still got, I, that's, I've got a thing old that I can bring out and tell about how God saved me. But there's new things coming in too all the time. Things new, there ought to always be new things. Think about this. <clears throat> Here is a stately old tree that's been standing for hundreds of years. If it doesn't bring out new leaves every and in a little while you cut it down. You wait a little longer and you know what I wonder maybe it maybe it just got nipped you know on the bud maybe it's going to go ahead and come out. If it doesn't come out it's dead. If there is not new life coming out of us there's death. There's something wrong. There's got to be new leaves coming out. Ask yourself the question, is there anything new coming out of me? I mean, it's a bad sign when we don't read anymore. We don't, you know, what? All is it possible that we have mastered all the Christian biographies? We don't even need to read them anymore. I mean, here's a new Christian. Boy, oh, that, that biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones is so fantastic. And that's one of Charles Spurgeon and this one of Hudson Taylor. But then after time goes on, you know, I, I, I haven't been reading anything of any biographies for a long time. See what happens to us? We're supposed to be bringing forth things new. Bringing forth things new. There's so much. There is such a vast treasure of things for us to dig into and to learn and to explore. We're not one bit closer than we were when we first started out as new Christians. Think of the Bible. 
just the, the amount of glorious things there are there for us to dig into. Uh, these things new. First of all, old truths that have been made real in a fresh way in our lives. I think that's what he's talking about in 1 John 2. He says, I, I give you a new commandment. It's not really a new commandment. It's the old commandment you've heard from the beginning. But it's, it's true in you and in him. It's new now in your hearts. So uh, old truths with new affections, but also just new insights into things. I was really impressed with Mike Durham, um, who went to Romania with us, or I went with him, you could say. Uh, there at this uh, conference we went to there in Kentucky a couple weeks ago, Mike had been spending, you could tell, he had spent hours and days and weeks thinking about what is love, really? What is love? And just exploring it and look it's just like taking it it's like a person taking a, a jewel you know and turning it and looking at it and fascinated with it how much time have i spent thinking about what love is what love to god is what who god is these are all things new see fresh things new insights is there anything new how <clears throat> uh, Someone said this, the new which contradicts the old is always false. The old which has no new <clears throat> is dead and useless. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an evaluation for us, isn't it? Uh, what's the case with the disciples of Christ? Well, he says they're like scribes. <clears throat> Their disciples, his three names are given for, for us, scribes, disciples, and householders. And every scribe that has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of the household who brings forth out of his treasure. He has a vast treasure. You've got to bring it forth, bringing forth things new and old, both. Well, may the Lord help us. This is, a, this is a parable teaching us what our responsibility and what the grace is for those who have heard and understood the parables. So it's another parable uh, teaching us and provoking us. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we're reminded this morning again of what a great treasure every true believer has. And uh, I, I pray, Lord, help us to not to try to uh, hide these things, but to bring forth out of our treasure to uh, the needs that are around us and to bring forth from our treasure <clears throat> things both old and new. Help us to be putting on new leaves, Lord, and growing and going forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.